0: And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Amen. Let us pray again. Lord, as this text even teaches us, as you teach us, we are always dependent upon you. And we're dependent upon your spirit to understand spiritual truths how much more to have spiritual life. We pray that you would give those who do not have life, life today, spiritually, by your Spirit, and teach us to know and understand, to cherish, and even obey what is here in this passage for your glory. We pray in the name of Christ, amen. You may be seated. So in our passage this morning... John the writer of this gospel tells us that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. And Nicodemus was a Pharisee and evidently he was sent by a group of the Pharisees or that whole body because he says in verse 2, "Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God." And that is the assumption there that uh, he comes as a representative and Again, he was a member of the Pharisees. And so the question is, who were the Pharisees? Well, they were a religious separatist group. They began about 150 B.C., that is before the birth of Christ. And the reason they came into existence really was a reaction to Hellenism in Palestine. Hellenism being the Greek culture, the secularized uh, culture at that time. And they had several notable beliefs. They believed in the immortality of the soul. They believed in a divine fatalism as well as uh, man's agency. Uh, They also believed in punishment and rewards in the afterlife. And that is significant because of their doctrine of salvation. And so they were stringent adherents to the Old Testament uh, mosaic law of God. And as we think about that, uh, Josephus tells us about their oral traditions concerning the law of God. Uh, they had their Mishnah, and in fact, they came to love their traditions more than the law itself. And we find that as we read on in the Gospels. Jesus will uh, assess their teachings a little later. Uh, but um, their. Oral traditions became a burden upon the people of God. And as Jesus would say, because of their oral traditions, they make the law of God of no effect. One of the uses, one of the reasons for the law of God is to show us our sin. But they put so many boundaries and hedges around the law of God that no one, it would seem, could break the law of God. We know that all sin, but humanly speaking, they couldn't break the law of God. For instance, one of their oral traditions was that... Ladies, a a woman was not to look in the mirror on the Sabbath, because if she looked in the mirror on the Sabbath, she might see a gray hair. And if she saw gray hair on the Sabbath, she might be tempted to pluck that hair out and that would be work. And so you can see you're laughing because you see the ridiculousness, if you will, of that doctrine of man. And so Nicodemus was part of this group. Again, Jesus would assess them later in Matthew 15. He said that they made um, their teachings, the teachings of men, as doctrines, as divine revelation. Those two are not the same thing. And so he, he really skates them in Matthew 23. And he points out their externalism, their religious hypocrisy. And, uh, you know, he says on the outside, they're like a whitewashed tomb. They're pretty, very presentable. But on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. So in essence, that's what Jesus thought of their movement. And he says elsewhere, do as they say, not as they do, because they're hypocrites. They're actors. And so Nicodemus, a member, a ruler of Israel, a member of this religious group, approaches Jesus at night. So why did he do it it at night? We are not told, but we could... Guess, perhaps he was afraid of being associated with Christ. He didn't want, you know, to be associated with him and want people to think that he was really a part of what it was that Jesus was doing or teaching. Or it could have been that Jesus had many people approaching him during the day. It was at the time of the Passover when he uh, committed all these miracles, and so he wanted freer access to Jesus. He wanted to have access to him. Alone. And so he came to him at night. And remember, Nicodemus would later in chapter 7 of John, he would ask that Jesus get a fair hearing. Later, after Jesus' death at Calvary, Nicodemus would tend to Jesus' body. And so this Nicodemus is an important figure in John's gospel. So he comes to Jesus at night. And Jesus being the evangelist of all evangelists, he stays on track in his evangelism. And uh, right there in verse 3, he stays on track. He gets to the point, he says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus then presents this conditional statement concerning entrance into God's kingdom. Unless one is born again again. He cannot, it is impossible for him to see the kingdom of God. And a little later in verse five, he says he cannot enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the spirit. So seeing is perceiving the kingdom of God. And of course, he mentions entering it. So you can't see it without being born again. You can't enter it without being born again. And uh, when it comes to the kingdom of God, you might ask, well, what is that for me? Years ago. A study on the kingdom of God, seeking to answer what is the kingdom of God, that led to me coming to the Reformed faith, really. Uh, but what is the kingdom of God? When you think of a kingdom, you think of a king, rule, a domain. And uh, it means more simply that God rules. It's not talking about merely the rule of God, because in 1 Chronicles 29, 12, it says both riches and honor come from you, that is the Lord, and you reign over all. And so in one sense, all are subjects of God's rule. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is providential. He governs all his creatures, all their actions. But as William Hendrickson put it, the kingdom of God is the realm in which his rule god's rule is recognized and obeyed and in which his grace prevails and so the kingdom of god consists of those who recognize the rule of god it is it consists of those who make up his spiritual kingdom remember at the end of time the only kingdom to stand will be the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of god that same kingdom prophesied about Daniel too. And so Jesus comes preaching the kingdom of God, announcing its arrival because of his work, what he would do. And Jesus tells Nicodemus here, unless one is born again, he cannot, he does not have the ability to enter that kingdom. And just so you can see, um, sort of another way of defining the kingdom of God, there are these synonyms throughout the text John chapter 3, if you look down at verse 15, Jesus says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. At the end of verse 16, he says, if you believe in him, you shall not perish but have everlasting life. In verse 17, he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And so to enter the kingdom of God is to have eternal life. To enter the kingdom of God is to have everlasting life. To enter the kingdom of God is to be saved. To be saved from our sins, as Matthew one twenty one puts it. And so in order to enter this kingdom and to have eternal life, to have everlasting life and be saved, one must undergo a radical, miraculous, really, Transformation that is all-encompassing. There must be a change in a person in order for him or her to enter the kingdom of God. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And so here we see the necessity of the new birth in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And that new birth is what we call spiritual renewal. It is what we call regeneration, to be generated or made again. And it is a miracle, no doubt. So what I want to do this morning is answer the question, why is regeneration or the new birth necessary in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. I think these things are implied in our text, and we will dive into it here in just a moment. But there are three reasons, at least, as to why regeneration or the new birth is necessary in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. The first reason is because of our natural exclusion from the kingdom of God. When we come into this world, we are not automatically born into God's kingdom. We are not automatically members of the church of the living God, at least the what we call the invisible church. No, we're all born into what? The realm and the kingdom and the domain of sin. And so we come into this world estranged from our creator. And this is the testimony of the Bible in Psalm 51, five. David said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. In Isaiah 53, verse 6, it says, All we like sheep have gone astray. Romans 5, 12, it says, Therefore, just as though one man, or through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. The reason death spreads to all men, according to that verse, is because all have sinned in Adam. Remember back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve fell into sin. They disobeyed God, and we fell with Him because what He did, we did. Because He was our representative, our federal head there in the garden. And so, we were estranged from God. In fact, if we say that we have no sin, 1 John 1, 1.8 says... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We could go on and on and just read Romans 3, right? There's none righteous. No, not one. And so this is why there's evil in the world. Because we all come into this world disconnected from God. We come into this world estranged from God. Actually, his enemies. Romans 8 puts it. And this is why there are riots in the world. There's looting. And by the way, that is... Uh, supposed to be a racial word today, looting. Let's just call it what it is. It's sin. It's theft. That's why there are acts of violence. There's Satanism even in our world today. That's why there's human suffering. What some people call natural evil. This is the effects of the fall, the curse on the ground and this very earth in which we dwell and and live. I mean, you go back and read Genesis chapter 3. And you'll find the effects of the fall. Work is cursed. It is hard. Thorns and thistles come. Childbearing is difficult, ladies. It hurts. It's, it's very hard. And people die. These are the effects of sin. And so we are not members automatically of the kingdom of heaven when we come into this world. In fact, in John chapter 8, you have grown church members there, teachers in the church, the Old Testament church, uh, the Pharisees and others, perhaps the scribes. And uh, Jesus is talking with them. They're, they're trying to catch Jesus in a trap. They don't like him at this point. And in verse 41, Jesus says, you do the deeds of your father. And they say, OK, he's talking about our father. Let's pull out our church membership card and show him whose father is ours or rather which father is ours. And they say, we were not born of fornication. We have one Father, God. And Jesus tells them, circumcised church members, John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. Why is that? It's because of what Jesus is teaching here in John chapter 3. And so in Isaiah 59 and verse 2, it says your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear regeneration is necessary because we are not automatically members of the kingdom of God. It is necessary because of our natural exclusion from the kingdom of God. There's a second reason as to why regeneration and the new birth is necessary. It is necessary because of our natural condition before God. Sin has had an effect on our very nature. What is our natural condition before God? Well, we are sinners. We are guilty of sin. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We were created for God's glory, right? We were put on this earth in order to glorify God and to enjoy him forever Romans 11:33 1 Corinthians 10:31 but we don't and the reason we don't and the reason we can't is because we're sinners all have sinned it's universal and because we are guilty of sin we are also polluted by that sin and so the bible talks about the pollution of sin it talks about defilement we become dirty our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. And if you were to read the Old Testament ceremonial law, you would find that before even God's redeemed people were able to perform the works of the tabernacle, they had to wash their hands. They had to wash everything all the time. Well, why is that? God was teaching them. And he teaches us that before we approach Him, we have to be washed. We have to be bathed. And it's not just water. There needs to be a spiritual renewal and a spiritual bathing. In uh, Matthew fifteen eleven, Jesus said, It's not what goes into the man or what goes into the mouth that defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a man. Our words are what defile us. And why do our words defile us? It's because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Our pollution is to the core. In Genesis 6-5, God looked out upon the earth and it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Does that sound redundant? Repetitive? It's there for a purpose. The Holy Spirit gave us those words. Every intent of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. And so when we come into this world, we have this natural inclination to sin. It's affected our will, our very nature, our desire, what it is that we do. Why? Because of our hearts. Uh, the Bible says that madness is in our hearts. Ecclesiastes 9.3 And it says, it is from our hearts that flow evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. Matthew 15, verse 19. Again in John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus said, he who commits sin is a slave to sin. And that means that if you're a sinner, you're enslaved to your sin. If I'm a sinner, I'm enslaved to my sin. Unless something happens. And so our chains need to be shattered before we can even approach God's remedy for our sin, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ, and enter into His kingdom. So we have that natural inclination to sin. And so when we see all these things, where does this leave Nicodemus? I mean, where does it leave this teacher In Israel, where does it leave this ruler, this Pharisee, who, by their standards, were on their way to the kingdom of God because they kept the law of God? Jesus is telling him, isn't he? Nicodemus is not in need of keeping a few more laws. Nicodemus is in complete need of a complete renewal, a radical transformation of his own nature, his being. He must be born again. Jesus says this repetitively in this passage. He must be born again. And he uses the plural there as well. Um, In verse 5, I think it is. It's actually verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, that is Nicodemus, "you, you all must be born again. And so that, what, that is what needs to happen to Nicodemus. That is what, has hap, what must happen to you and me before we enter the kingdom of God. And so then last, there's a third reason as to why this new birth is necessary in order to see and enter the kingdom of heaven. And that is because of our natural inability to save ourselves. We do not possess the ability to save ourselves. If what I've said is true, and I think it is biblically, we can prove it, we've just seen it. If what we have said is true, we do not have the ability to save ourselves. Uh, We come into this world estranged from God. It has affected our nature so that we are only inclined to do evil, and we are enslaved to that evil. And we come spiritually unclean. If this is true, we don't have the ability to save ourselves. You know, years ago, Rachel and I went to a uh, little church and there was a um, family in the church and, and their son, uh, their young son, he loved to play outside in the mud after it rained. One day we were having lunch at their house and he was out back playing. And uh, what they had to do is they had to clean him up before he came inside because you can imagine he was covered in mud. I could see the whites of his eyes and that was about it. And imagine him going to the, um, the water spigot, turning on the hose, trying to get himself clean. He would make a mess. And so when we try to clean up ourselves, that's us. We, we just make a mess of it. We can't clean ourselves. God has to do it. Our church membership won't clean us up. Our nice clothing, which we appreciate if we have them, our nice clothes won't clean us up in that way spiritually. Doing good before we have this new nature is really from a wicked heart, so God doesn't even accept it. So, trying to clean up our own mess won't work. And just to put it in the words of the Apostle Paul, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, this is what the Bible says there. He's speaking to Christians. He says, you, He made alive who were dead, And trespasses and sins, in which he once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. And he goes on. Paul includes himself in that Pharisee of Pharisees. Um, He was a child of Satan. He followed the prince of the power of the air. But God, who is rich in mercy, made him. And those Ephesian Christians alive in Jesus Christ. And how did he do that? Jesus tells us in our text. By being born of water and spirit. And so Nicodemus said he misunderstands what Jesus is saying. Uh, There in verse 4 he says, Can an old man uh, enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Well, of course not. That's not what Jesus is saying. And uh, he's revealing Jesus his spiritual ignorance here so Jesus in in verses 5 and 6 he reinforces again the necessity of this new birth and so in verse 5 he says most assuredly or truly truly or amen amen emphasizing the the seriousness the um, truthfulness of this statement he says I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And uh, what does he mean? Well, in verse 5, he basically is giving this this core theme or idea, and that is one's need for spiritual cleansing. You know, there's a lot of discussion, well, does he mean that water refers to natural birth, spirit? refers to spiritual birth. I suppose it could mean that. But when you survey the Scriptures and you think about Jesus bringing together uh, the teaching of the Old Testament, even, I think He has something else in mind. I mean, can you think of an Old Testament prophet that talks about water and Word and Spirit? I can. We read it already in this worship service in Ezekiel chapter 36. We, We have, well, first of all, in Ezekiel 37... Uh, there is the prophet preaching at God's command to uh, the Valley of Dry Bones. And so through the preaching, the wind comes, the Spirit of God comes, and they're all made alive, and they have flesh put on them, muscle and so forth. They come together in order to serve and worship the living God. But before chapter 37, in chapter 36, this is what God says. To his people in exile, scattered abroad. He says, I'll take you, verse 24, from among the nations, gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone. Stone is dead. I'll take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I'll be your God. God is telling his exiled people who are not in the promised land that before they will return, he will give them new hearts. And of course, as Jeremiah puts it, on those hearts are written his commandments, his will, their desire to do his will. And He will cleanse them from all of their idols, all of their sins. He will put His Spirit within them. They will be His people. He will be their God. That is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter 3. And so each and every one of you, myself included here this morning, we all have this need to be cleansed from our idols, to be cleansed of our sins, whatever they are, our past. It may be self-righteousness. Pride. The sin of pride. That's an abomination to God. God resists the pride, or it might be a life of lust and fornication, or theft, or escapism, or drugs, or whatever it is. And through the person and work of Jesus Christ, by the application of that work of Jesus Christ, he applies the, the blood of Christ to our lives. We're cleansed of all of our sins so that we may dwell, not in literal Palestine, but the Jerusalem that is above that comes down from heaven at the end. That's glorious. That's the gospel. That's called good news. And before one can enjoy that restored fellowship with God and dwell in the heavenly Jerusalem with him, he must come to Christ. And before he can come to Christ, Jesus says he must be born again. I love what Paul says to uh, the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 6. You know that Greek culture at Corinth and they, they had unspeakable sins. And um, he just lists a few of those sins kind of broadly in 1 Corinthians 6. He mentions fornication, homosexuality, sodomites, adulterers. And he goes on, he says, the, the unrighteous will not inherit The kingdom of God. But then he utters those glorious words. But of such were some of you. Oh, but you are washed. You are justified. You are sanctified. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by our God. And so because of the Lord Jesus Christ. The spirit of God comes. And He cleanses us of our sins. That's represented in our baptism. The actual water in that sacrament, that rite, does not wash away our sins. We don't believe in baptismal regeneration. That's not taught in Scripture. And the act of baptism is only a sign. It is a seal, but it's a sign and seal. It points to what Jesus does. So we don't have faith in baptism. We have faith in Christ. And that is what cleanses us of all of our sins. First John 1 John 1.9 says. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. To forgive us of our sins. And what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're like the leper. The leper can't. Cleanse himself. The leper in Matthew 8 comes to Jesus. And says if you are willing. I can be clean. Jesus cleanses the leper. We're all spiritual lepers before God. And so when we experience the new birth, when we're born of water and spirit, we are fully restored. In verse 6, Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And just say, whatever one's nature is, that nature will produce a certain fruit. So if you're of the flesh, of fallen sinful nature, your fruit will look like that, Uh, dead fruit. Um, If you're born of the spirit, the spirit will produce living fruit. Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, all these things he mentions there. And so in verse 8, he says, the wind blows where it wishes, where it wills, where it listeth, if you have that old translation. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. You ever tried to put the wind in a bottle, children? You ever tried to catch the wind? Can't see the wind. You can see the leaves blow. You can hear it blow perhaps by your ear. You can see the fruits of the wind. You can see the effects of the wind. But even a the meteorologist, they, they know certain patterns and things like this, but the wind can throw them off. Because there's a mystery to it. And so it is with the Spirit of God and the work that He does. Um, The work of the Spirit is a mystery. The work of the Spirit is sovereign because He is God and He does what He wants, when and where He pleases and the way that He chooses. And it's also what we call efficacious. It is powerful. It has an effect. It's a tended effect. And so Jesus compares the new birth and being born of the Spirit like the wind and so if God is sovereign, we are not. There can't be two sovereigns. We are not God. This is to say God is God. And John has already prepared us for this in chapter 1. In verse 12 he said, but as many as received Him, Jesus, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, to those who have faith in Jesus, you have the right, the authority to become, and you do become the children of God. To those who believe in His name, verse thirteen, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, but of the will, nor of the will of man, but of God. What is John teaching there? When we put our faith in Jesus, we become children of God. We are adopted sons and daughters of the living God. And that is not of our own doing. It's not of the will, our desire, our ability. Not of the will of man. Not of blood. That's man. Nor the will of the flesh. That's man. Nor the will of man, in case we don't understand. But of God. The will of God. What am I saying? This new birth is completely and only the work of God Himself. And in particular, the Spirit of God. The third person of the Trinity. It is His sovereign work. And that is to say, if you are a Christian, if you have repented of your sins and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and if you are a Christian, it is only because God the Holy Spirit has taken out your heart of stone and put within you a heart of flesh. It is only because God has given you new ears to hear, new eyes to see, and again, that heart to receive the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you remember the Apostle Paul? He was converted in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus. And a little later, Luke tells us that something like scales fell off of his eyes. That is to say, we are spiritually deaf, without the Spirit. We are spiritually stubborn without the Spirit, without our new heart. And we are spiritually blind without the Spirit because we don't have eyes to see and understand and receive the things of the Spirit of God. When I was in high school, there was a guy who was a couple years older than me. He too was a drummer. And he loved to drum and tell everybody how good he was. He was. I never did that, uh, but um, he, he lived you know kind of a rough life, a rebellious life. A few years after high school, I ended up working right next to him, and uh, got to know him even more. And by this time, I was a Christian, and the Lord was cleaning up my life and his great grandfather. Was a Baptist minister. So he knew the gospel. Um, But a little after that time, me working with him, he hit rock bottom. He lived out of his car doing drugs. And um, of course, I'd share the gospel with him. His brother was working on it. He was a Christian, sharing the gospel with him at that time. And. when I was in seminary, he tracked me down. And where I worked, they called me Medi from a last name short. And I'm sure now I can do that. But they called, he says "Medi, um, guess what? I'm a Christian. He told me about his conversion, it was awesome. And uh, he said, now I can read the, the parables. I understand them. A few years later, I was at my first pastorate, and he caught up with me again. And and before we got off the phone, he was praying for me in the ministry now. And uh How can that happen? Jesus tells us He was born again. He was born by the Spirit of our God. And so as we think about what this text teaches, I've just got three areas of application this morning. Obviously, I think, obviously, all glory goes to God. And everything that is good. But especially our salvation. Unless one is born again, he cannot see nor enter the kingdom of God. Even our faith, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says our faith is the gift of God. 2 Timothy 2, I think it is, says that the gift or that repentance is a gift of God. It's all God. We don't contribute to our salvation. Yes, we exercise saving faith, but only because we've been born again and given repentance and faith and we exercise that gift God has given to us. So all glory goes to God. And since this is all true, this informs our evangelism. You know, I pray that I might have a greater heart for evangelism. It's my prayer that this church has a greater heart for evangelism. If we don't know how to do it, we need to be equipped and we can do that. But when it comes to Desiring to see our family members come to Christ, our friends, our co-workers, and parents, even our children. Only God can save them. I have Christian friends who are parents older than me who have homosexual children. They've grown up in the church. I have... Acquaintance, friend, Christian parents that are dealing with transgenderism among their children. Who can help them? The Lord. God. And so like Paul, what do we do? Romans 10. It's my heart's desire and what? Prayer. That Israel be saved. I'm going to say this tongue-in-cheek. Paul's Calvinism did not hinder his prayer for the lost. And we see who it is that saves. And we, we go to the Lord we plead with Him. And remember 1 Corinthians 6, of such were some of you. God does save such people. He saved you and He saved me. And then last, we ought to see here or be reminded that in our daily pursuit... That we seek actual cleansing. That we seek to be practically who we are positionally. We are the saints, Ephesians 1 says. We are the saints in Christ. The holy ones. Why? Because positionally we've been cleansed. And so let us practically seek that purity and that holiness. Following Jesus. Following His word. And then you might be asking, well, how do you know if if you've been born again? Well, John's epistle, 1 John, was written for that reason. But for this morning's sake, let me point you to John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It is that simple. Are you trusting in Christ? Not in yourself, not in your works, not in any other thing, but in Jesus. If you are and you have true saving faith, then you have been born again. Amen? Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we, we confess what our Savior taught us. Without You, we can do nothing. He is the vine and we are the branches. And that sap that produces fruit in our lives is His Spirit. We thank You for making us members of Your kingdom. We pray, O Lord, that You would help us to be thankful for that. And help us to pursue holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.